Well, good morning. I'm doing the welcome today, so it's going to be really short. Welcome to church. There are connect cards. If you fill those out, we will know things that you put on them. Please stand and let's worship.
you guys pray, pray with me real quick? Lord, we thank you for another Sunday where we come together as broken people, looking for hope, looking to be restored, looking to um, finally lay down um, guilt or shame, forgiveness for someone that's wronged us. God, I pray that we'll just have easy hearts going into this message that, um, that you will speak through Dwight, um, that you will speak boldly through him, that it will not be what Dwight has to say, but what you have to say, and that hearts will be restored in your son's name. Amen. Be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm not Dwight. We'll get to him in, in just a moment, but uh, yeah, usually when uh, you see me up here, that means, okay, there must be something about missions going on, and that's right. So the beautiful thing is missions is always going on. There's always something, in ha something happening. Mission is something not just to go on a trip, but it's something we get to be doing on a daily basis, and, and today we get to hear briefly from one of our own. And uh, when you see her up here, I think many of you are going to recognize her, but it's just so exciting to see somebody from our High Point congregation who has said yes to God's calling on their life and has gone out to be sharing the gospel as their way of life. So this person, she's here visiting with us. She is uh, doing campus and uh, collegiate planting ministry at um, Western Oregon University, not too far from here. She's been doing that for about three years now. She's grown up up here in High Point Church, and so I'm going to ask if you would give a round of applause for Casey Larson, who is going to come and share with us today. All right, they're all yours, Casey. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's so good to be here with you guys. Um, such a blessing that I get to come back to a church family here, like I, like Stephen said, um, got to grow up coming to this church and just really thankful for um, the role that is played in my faith and really thankful for your guys' support. So excited to get to share a quick update with you guys. Um, I actually just got back from directing a summer project in Fort Collins, Colorado. We just sent out a church plant there, so that's really exciting. Um, and and I was there for five weeks. We got to take a team of six students from across our network to be there. Um, the goal of this project was, first of all, for those six students to get to experience what mission looks like in the context of church planning um, and get to experience and discern if that is something that the Lord could be calling for them in their own lives as well, um, as well as just to be there and be a blessing to the team that has planted there, who has moved their lives to Fort Collins to pursue students at Colorado State University. Um, so we spent a lot of time on campus at Colorado State, um, just getting to meet people, connect with people, um, and the goal is to connect them to the church plant. So over the five weeks, we got to meet around 70 different people, and many of those people are now connected to the church plant, um, and they are launching this week. Students just moved there, so we're really excited for them. Would love prayers for them as well. Um, and also the team of six students that we had out of that, three of those students are praying about and considering church planning this year, actually picking up their lives and moving um, on a church plant and seeing what the Lord does in that. And the other three are also open-handed to what the Lord wants them 
to do in their lives um, and also desire to be a part of a church planning team in the future. So really cool to see the way that the Lord used that summer and the summer project and um, excited for what he's going to do in Colorado. Um, but now I am back in Monmouth, Oregon, and I continue to do ministry there and what that has looked like um, currently. We have been just preparing for students to get on campus. We're really excited for them to be there. They're going to be here in about a month. Um, so some things that we're looking forward to, first of all, New Student Week. We're excited for the students to come. They're going to have a whole week where they are just adjusting to campus, um, where they don't have classes, and we are going to be on campus all day, every day, doing what it takes um, to pursue them. So we're going to be hosting a bunch of different events, um, trying to connect with them throughout the first couple weeks that they're there. And that's all going to culminate into a freshman retreat that we're going to take them to the Oregon coast. And we're going to just use that time to really intentionally get to know them, get to know their stories, build trust with them, um, and also get to intentionally share about who we are as a church and ultimately get to share the gospel and who Jesus is and just invite them to be a part of our community and be a part of uh, something that can transform their lives for their college years and for their life to come after that as well. So really looking forward to that. Um, one other thing that I want to share with you guys uh, is for our small groups this year, I'm going to be helping lead uh, a group for non-believers to come. And this year, I'm really excited to be specifically pursuing athletes on campus. Uh, this is something that I am very passionate. As I grew up an athlete, I know how easy it is for athletics to become an identity. Um, so I'm really excited to get to pursue athletes and get to uh, just share them who Jesus is and show them that there is more to life than just their sports. Um, but very thankful to be here. I'm excited for this year. Would love your guys' prayers um, and all of these things. And I will be out in the lobby after this. Would love to share more specifically what my roles are and would love to just get to meet you as well. So thank you so much. Well done again, Casey. Uh, it, it is certainly very rewarding for your for your parents, but for us in a way too, because watching you grow up and and then to be released uh, in to do ministry is is super cool. And and Gail and Steve, I'm sure you're super proud. You were telling me that on the break, and and well well done parenting wise as well too. We're just super excited uh, for you. Um, we if, when you think about it, young people growing up, and 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 Casey's choosing to 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 continue ministry at, at, and, and really start at a very young age. We don't have to wait till we're adults. We don't have to wait till we're super old. It, it just is, it's inspiring to see you starting now, and uh, we're, we're just super thankful for that. So I'm going to pray. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to do my best to uh, incorporate what, which, how you would pray if you were up here, but can we do that for you? Okay, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for Casey and for her life. We thank you for the life that has been changed, not from her own willpower, her own effort, or her own moral performance. Lord, it's from Jesus and what he has done, and she has put her faith and trust in him. And God, we thank you that that has changed her and continues to change her as she grows into the likeness of your son. And Father, we see this in the way that she has stepped out and is sacrificing and denying herself so that she can serve others. And we, we pray your continued blessing on her. She, in particular, as she leads this small group of, of athletes, and, and Father, how, how critical of a time that she's able to minister to people that are coming 
to campus and, and starting a new chapter in their lives. And there's a lot of insecurity and fears and doubts about all that, Lord. And so they're open to things. And we pray that you would bless her with favor with the people that she'll be speaking to and talking with. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would just plant seeds through her words into the hearts and lives of those that will be asking questions, that she won't rush them or push them, but she'll simply just uh, explain to them the love that she has found in Christ and share that in a way that would be engaging in something that, uh, that it, with each encounter, they will walk away and have to think through that, Lord. And we pray that many uh, will come to know you and the love you have for them as well through her ministry. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Well done. Now it is my privilege to introduce to you Dwight Anderson. Dwight is on our elder team, and Dwight holds a very unique distinction in the history and life of High Point, and that is that Dwight was on the very first elder team that we had way back in the day, and deservedly so, and Dwight is now the first to hold a for a second go-round. No one else has ever done that, and Dwight has done that. Dwight and Christine and his wife over there have just been instrumental in the life of High Point. Now, they, they left for seven or eight years. Uh, Dwight was called away work-wise, and I just want you to know, this is, this is my little build-up to Dwight. Dwight is a very tender-hearted, soft-spoken man, godly man, and when they, when they left, I found myself throughout the seven or eight years, when I was facing some really challenging matters. I certainly was blessed by the elder team that we have, but I remember Dwight, and I would call him up, and I'd say, Dwight, man, I need a sounding board. Can you help me? And I knew that I would get godly counsel and uh, someone who really cared about the situation that I was in, and so I'm eternally grateful, uh, Dwight, for you for that, and, and I can't think of anyone better to talk about bitterness this morning than a godly man, all right? Can I pray for you? Yes. Okay. Father, we thank you so much for Dwight and Christina, for them coming back. And Lord, I, I pray your blessing over Dwight and all of his preparation. Uh, Lord, he realizes that he is uh, just, he's a tool in your hands right now. I pray his words would not be his, but yours. And they would reach to each and every heart here, no matter if someone's here for the first time and, and just doesn't know who you are. And, and all the way to the person who's been here maybe every Sunday and thinks they know who you are in your entirety, Lord God, which is impossible. Lord, speak to each and every person uh, like that and in between, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Mm. Thank you, Kevin. Mm -hmm. We're continuing our series today on the sickness within, and today's topic is bitterness. Bitterness is that resentment that we have when somebody has done us wrong, we feel like we've been treated unfairly, and we really remember that. In fact, we don't just remember it, we actually carry it. We talk about carrying a grudge. We carry that around with us. If we carry, around that, carry it around with us long enough, pretty soon we start thinking, how good would it be if we could just have some real payback like this fellow up here? Er, I mean, presents, I suppose. Well, Mr. Grinch seems to have an unhealthy interest in vengeance. The first thing they think of at Christmas, oh, vengeance, of course. Well, the thing that bothers me about that the most is actually that I can kind of understand that. I can kind of relate to that in some way. And I suspect that I'm not the only person here that feels that way. So here's some questions you can ask yourself to see, are you struggling with bitterness in some way? Let's start with uh, your place at work or wherever you spend most of your time during the week. Is your nickname the Grinch? If it is, that's probably a clue that maybe you have a bitterness problem. 
Or are there certain people that when their names come up or certain situations or whatever they are, you, as soon as you hear that, you feel that surge of adrenaline in you and you want to make an outburst of say something, but you try to hold it in, sometimes successfully, maybe sometimes not? That's probably a sign of bitterness. Or what if you grumble? Always grumbling about either people or situations or whatever it is, government, the church, they don't do things right, everything is messed up. And sometimes you can keep that grumbling in your heart and you can still do it with a smile on your face, but that still counts as grumbling. And one thing that God's been dealing with me a bit over this past week is, are there people, maybe I'm the only one, but are there people that are just hard to pray for in the way that you know God wants you to? I'm working on that with God's help. I think that's really a sign of bitterness. So today, we're going to talk about, uh, well, really, there's probably two groups of people here. Some of you might be able to really quickly identify who it is that you have a bitterness issue with. If there's probably somebody who comes to mind very quickly. Maybe there's some very deep wounds there. If so, my prayer for you is that as we get through this today, you will understand that you have the power through God to get out of that, and God has a plan of escape for you from that. There might be another group of people who are very fortunate, and maybe you might think a minute or two and say, well, no, I'm not really bitter with anybody. Well, that's great. But sooner or later, somebody is going to make you bitter or give you an opportunity to be bitter. And when you're faced with that uh, situation, you can only go one of two ways. You're either going to be bitter or you're going to become more Christ-like. And so the purpose of today is to really understand what does the Bible say about that and how we navigate those things that are, are lobbed at us that might tempt us to be bitter. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're about to open your word and look into it. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Please use it to illuminate what it is in our hearts that you want to change and give us the, uh, the insight and the commitment to, to change those things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a few minutes, we're going to get into Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to um, get that found in your Bible, you can start looking in the table of contents in uh, the New Testament. It's about a third of the way down. You'll find the book of Ephesians. Get to chapter 4 and put in a, a bookmark there. But first, let's, uh, I wanted to look at a few other verses. Uh, let's start with Jesus. He's always a good place to start. He's uh, our Savior, Lord, and, and role model, perfect role model. What did Jesus teach about bitterness? Let's start with Luke 6.27. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now, we've heard this before, probably, and so it, it doesn't sound too shocking to us, but really that is contrary to human nature, and it was contrary to the culture at the time. This is, this is really a different way of dealing with people, to bless your enemies. As we look throughout the life of Jesus and his ministry, we see that he consistently did that. He, he looked for ways to, uh, to find the, the people who were struggling and to uh, point them to God's love and to take the people who were arrogant towards God and help recalibrate them too. But really, the, if we think about his earthly ministry, the culmination, there's no more uh, uh, dramatic demonstration of the kind of love God has for us than the, the crucifixion of Christ. 
So I'd like to fast forward a little bit. I want to do this reverently. It's kind of a, a, a shock to go into it very quickly, but we have to realize that, um, you know, that was probably the point in the universe where we have the greatest contrast between good and evil side by side. And so that's a, an amazing time to look at. So as we know, Christ was given a mock trial uh, based on false charges and was uh, persecuted, he was uh, beaten, he was tortured, and died a, a death on a cross for our sins. Let's pick it up in Luke 6, 23, or no, sorry, Luke 23, 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of Jew the Jews, save yourself. If anyone ever had a right to be bitter, it would have been Jesus. Here he is, the perfect man. And he's being tortured, ridiculed, and here in the midst of his suffering, what does he do at that point? He does exactly what he told his followers to do back in Luke chapter 6. He prayed for those who were executing him, and he gave them forgiveness. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But then beyond that, he did something that only he could do, and that is really what his executioners needed most of all, and that is Jesus paid a, made a substitutionary death that would enable their forgiveness and my forgiveness and each of our forgiveness. That's the, the gift that God was giving to us is his son so that we can be forgiven of sins. So that's the ultimate blessing that anyone can get. Now this is obviously the most dramatic uh, portrayal that we can have, but what's it like uh, for the, the everyday Christian just living? Well, I'll talk about the Apostle Paul a little bit. He's not exactly your everyday Christian, but he's, he writes about what it's like in a typical day. In a, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 4.12, he says, We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. Okay, so this is, uh, he's doing the same thing that Jesus did. He's turning around this, uh, everything that comes back, he turns it around as a blessing, makes it a blessing to people. So how is it that Jesus was able to do this? And how is it that anyone can, who's following Christ can really do this? Well, First uh, Peter 2.23 gives a, a good insight, I think. That says, uh, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus continued or continually entrusted himself to the Father, the one who judges justly. We can do the same thing. Every morning when we wake up, we can say, God, I'm entrusting myself to you. I'm going to put myself in your hands. I am here to do your will. Use me how you want to use me today. And the reason Jesus could do that and the reason we can do that is because we know that God is just, so we can trust him. God is trustworthy. 
for that. Even if we have to go through some injustices in the interim, we know that ultimately God is just, and so we can trust him. We last, uh, it was uh, last spring, we were talking about the book of Romans. We were going through that. I'd like to remind us of one other passage there that I think epitomizes the kind of uh, counsel that we have here in God's word. Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So one of the keys in this verse is that the realization that God said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's something we don't have to worry about. That takes a lot off our plate. We don't have to worry about going around uh, uh, executing judgment on people in the, in the way that God's going to take care of, because he's got that covered. The realization there is that God is just, and because he's just, we can trust him, and we can trust him to get us through what he's strug- whatever we're struggling through. So now we can go on to Ephesians chapter 4. Four twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There's a lot there, so let's go ahead and back up and look at it. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk. Uh, One translation says unwholesome talk come out of your life. That word corrupting is the same word used to describe rotting fish or fruit that is spoiled. It's unfit for human consumption. So how many of you, if you saw a piece of fish that was spoiled, you wouldn't take that with a piece of good fish and put it in the same Tupperware because that's going to spoil it. Or if you have a bowl of fruit, we have a a bowl of fruit at home, and once in a while I'll see there's a mandarin orange there, and I'll see it's getting um, kind of moldy on top. I'll look on the bottom, and uh, oh, it's not moldy there. I'm kind of tempted to turn it over and put it down, but of course I I don't do that because now the mold's going to affect everything else. Uh, What I should do is throw it away, but actually what I do is I I usually eat it. Uh, I'm still working on the sermon about gluttony last week, Kevin, so (laughs) sorry about that. I I can't stand wasting food, but... uh, (laughs) But the, the point is that corrupting language, it, it's called corrupting language because it corrupts. It, it just doesn't, it's not only reflecting on who's saying it, but it's wherever it lands, it's going to corrupt stuff there. So what is corrupting language? What are examples of it? We might, the first thing that comes to mind might be, well, swear words and curse words. Well, yeah, that's, that's probably corrupting language, but let's look specifically at what he might be talking about here uh, go back to verse 31. Verse 31 has heart attitudes where the corrupting language, the language that we use, the words that we choose are the expression of our heart attitudes. The heart attitudes in verse 31 are bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, 
and malice. So this bitterness that we're talking about today, that's the heart attitude. So what would be the, the corresponding words that we would use to express that? Well, it might be, for example, slander, gossip, grumbling. Grumbling's a big one. I have a little bit of experience in that. Uh, when we were uh, in our church in Cincinnati, it was a very good church. We enjoyed it, enjoyed many things about it. Uh, there is one particular reason I enjoyed it is because I was involved in a music ministry that um, we had a unique worship format that I, I really was really deeply meaningful to me. And then we also went out in the community and did some things outside of the church, and that was good. And then because of the schedules that those things involved, a lot of us were in the same small group together, and Christina was uh, uh, totally a part of that too. So it was uh, basically all these uh, musicians and their, their families uh, would get together. And I thought, boy, this is great. It's such a treat to be here, and this is wonderful. And then one day, the church leadership decided, we're going to cancel this. So we stopped all that ministry. That was a, a pretty painful day. I was grieving. Really, all of us were grieving about that. Um, and being that we're all in the same small group, that's part, that's part of what small groups do is they <clears throat> support each other. And so we were grieving together. And... Uh, the catch there is that there's a very fine line between grieving and grumbling. I, I think the point in that line is that if you're grieving, you're, you're expressing what's on your heart and how it's, uh, how it's affecting you. If you're grumbling, now you're starting to, to blame, put other people into things, uh, say things that are not true, th stuff like that, because grumbling is inherently not true because ultimately it's it's uh, denying that God is sovereign and God is able to, to solve whatever it is that you're, you're worried about. So I, th I think that our whole group did a good job of staying clear of grumbling, but uh, we were very aware that that was something that uh, we had to steer clear of because if we did grumble, that would have a, a very negative effect not only on us, but potentially elsewhere in the church. So that, that could have been a very dangerous situation that I think we, we emerged safely from. If grumbling is something that's a challenge for you, I encourage you to go and read Numbers chapter 16. I'm not going to take time to read it today, but basically what happens is God judges a rebellion that arises. He puts it down very definitively and quickly, but some people don't like the way that God did that, and they start grumbling about it, and they grumble and they grumble, and God says to Moses, Moses, I'm, I'm going to fix this right here, right now. Go separate yourself from those grumbling people. Go stand way over there. And then God judges more people for grumbling than he actually judged for the rebellion itself that he had put down. So God takes grumbling very seriously. And I, it sounds like grumbling is really the result of a bitter heart. And so I think that's one of the, the biggest things to watch out for, for a symptom and uh, be aware that God, is, uh, God doesn't, doesn't like grumbling. Now let's jump down to verse 31. I know we skipped over 30, but we'll get back there in a second. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Uh, often I do my studying in the New International Version, and I notice there it says, get rid of all bitterness, very direct. And both of these are saying the same thing in, in a way. It's saying we've got to get rid of it. We've got to get rid of all bitterness, and it, it has to go. There's an interesting thing, though, in this uh, ESV translation, and it looks like the majority of translations actually write this in the passive voice. That means there's someone else 
at work who's doing this too. And in fact, in the original text, it really is in the passive voice. And so that's, that's one of the reasons I chose this translation today to, to use. But notice it says in verse 31, let all bitterness be put away from you. So it implies that there's some, somebody else helping you with that. And that's why I skipped over 30, because that's where the answer is. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is with us to help us to deal with this. As, as it says here, when we're coming to Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And God comes and lives inside of us, and he's not going anywhere. He's going to be in there coaching us, getting us to desire the things of God. And most importantly for this case, helping us to give the, get the power that we need to overcome the things that are so hard to do. So I know talking about bitterness is really hard because it's, it's just a hard thing to do. But the, the promise of this is that God will make us successful in this if we let him. See, the command in verse 30 is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there wanting us to, to do this. He's urging us to reconcile with people, to grant forgiveness. That's what Jesus did. That's what the Spirit does. And uh, we can get in the way of it, but that's something we're told not to do. Don't get in the way of the Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, God is so emphatic about this that Jesus told a parable. In uh, Matthew 18, he told the parable of the, uh, the master and the servant who had a huge debt, a vast debt that was unrealistic to be paid back ever. Well, he... The master forgave that slave, that, that servant, but then that servant went out and he had a debt from somebody else that was much, much smaller. It's like somebody owed him for a Starbucks or something. It was this tiny debt. And so he grabbed him by the neck and said, where's my, where's my money? So this is how God feels about it, as he says in Matthew 18, 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jumping back to Ephesians 4, we see that God is, is calling us to, to forgive Because when we put away bitterness, that's, the, that's the, what happens. In verse 32, forgave you. So our ultimate model for how we forgive is in Christ. When we, when we for, truly forgive people the way Christ forgave us, we, we don't hold anything back. It's not like we take their offense and we put it in a box and write their name on it and then say, well, I'd like to get rid of this now, but what if that same person comes back and offends me tomorrow? I might need this, so I better put it on the shelf back here so if they ever offend me, I can grab that back again, and then I'll, I'll use it to really uh, remind them all, all how bad they are and really double down on my uh, issues with them. But we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to forgive as, as Christ forgave us, and we can do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is totally possible. And when I say it's totally possible... I realize that might sound a little bit offensive because I realize there are some very deep hurts that can come sometimes that cause our bitterness, some deep wounds, abuses, different things. And uh, what we can count on, though, 
is that however deep those wounds are, God's grace truly is deeper. And the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that truly is more than sufficient to do it. So no matter how deep those wounds, we are guaranteed that we can be successful. We only have to obey this, you know, comply with the Spirit. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't use those words that the Holy Spirit cringes at. Don't hold on to the bitterness that the Holy Spirit just cringes at and just, uh, it just grieves him. So instead we need to trust him. And it's uh, truly a supernatural effort to do that. Now just as an aside, um, when we forgive people, that doesn't necessarily mean that we treat them as if everything is fine. There, there are times when uh, people are not safe people for, uh, for certain situations and we need to be cognizant of that. And that's where wisdom comes in, but that's a, another topic. But when we forgive them, we release them from any uh, um, blame. We're not going to retaliate against them. We're not going to hold it against them in terms of how we interact with them or in terms of our evaluation of them. So, so far we've talked about different ways that we can address bitterness with people. Just to recap very quickly, we need to follow what Jesus did, what he modeled. We need to trust the Father because he is just. We don't have to worry about vengeance. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, what he's doing in us. We need to get out of the Holy Spirit's way, just go with him. So that all works if we're talking about people. But there is another kind of bitterness that I think we struggle with sometimes. What if we're bitter against God? Sometimes it seems like the very best people among us are taken out of this life far too early. What do we do with that? Or what do we do when it seems like we have calamity upon calamity just happening to us and we don't understand why it seems excessive? Maybe it feels like God's picking on you. Or maybe it's like you try to pray and as soon as you start to, to pray, the words evaporate kind of before it even gets a foot out of your mouth. And you wonder, is, does God even care? Is God even listening? And I'm talking about things that Christians experience from time to time. We can talk about a lot of people in the Bible who have gone through this, but let's, let's talk about Job. He was a righteous man as far as men go. One day, all of his children were killed. If you know the story, you knew that was coming, but think about that for a second. This is a serious, uh, emotionally devastating event. Then after that, he lost all of his wealth, and then he got sores all over his skin so that every square inch of his skin was, had him in constant pain, and he had to take shards of broken pottery and scrape himself, and he was just, just trying to survive second by second to endure the physical pain, not, let alone the emotional pain and uh, the spiritual pain of trying to wonder what's happening. Well, along come some friends, and they say, well, Job, obviously, this is because you have some sin that you're not confessing. That's just how this works. Everybody knows. That's my theology, and I'm sticking to it. Well, God is uh, a little bit beyond their theology. Job didn't know what the answer was, but he knew it wasn't that. So how does Job deal with this at this point? Job 13, 15, I think it's a very profound verse. It's worth uh, thinking about, especially if you're struggling with bitterness towards God. 
He said, though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. So Job's faith in God is not dependent upon his blessings or his lack of blessings or his circumstances. And Job's faith in God is not dependent upon his feelings, which are basically rock bottom in every category. Physically, he's in pain. Financially, that's, that's history. Uh, his family's gone. What else does he have left? He's in spiritual conflict because he's feeling the stress of there's this gap between this is what God, uh, what I think God should be doing, this is what I'm experiencing, how do we fill in that gap? His faith is based on who God is. He believes that God is just. So somehow, even if he dies, he will have hope in God because he believes God is just. He is, his faith is based on God's character, not on his circumstances, not on what he's going through. He can see beyond that. So let's look at the second part of this verse as well. Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. God's not afraid of, his, of the questions from us or Job or anyone else. God never really rebukes Job for asking those questions that he has. He's making a statement here, but there's obviously questions underlying that. Now, to give you a spoiler alert for what basically the rest of Job says is, uh, Job, the answer is, I'm God, you're not, trust me. That's, that's basically a thumbnail sketch of the rest of Job. But uh, Job asked this question. God doesn't have to answer any of our questions. In fact, it might be that God cannot answer our questions because we cannot understand it. It might be like if I try to explain algebra to my dog, he'll give me his cute puppy look and do the sideways stare thing, and I'll talk algebra to him, but there's no algebra going on in the doggy brain. So that's, that's kind of what it might be like. So we, we can't count, there, there may not be answers from God, and we just have to be okay with that because we trust God and who he is. We know he is just. In fact, we, in, at this day and age, we ought to know more than Job did because Job didn't have the entire scripture. We have the scripture, but not only that, the scripture testifies to Jesus, who is the exact representation of God. We know more about God and his character than Job did because we know Jesus. We, we know him from scripture and we, we know him personally if we've come to him as our savior and are trusting him. So it's okay to ask questions of God, but there's a right way and a wrong way. Job is asking the right way. He's asking on the basis of faith. He has first come to terms with the fact that he's going to trust God no matter what happens. And then having come to that position of faith, now he can say, God, I have some questions. I'd like you to ask, answer if you can. And that's, that's fair game. But what we don't want to do, what's very dangerous, is when we say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I think you're really screwing up. I don't know if I should trust you. I don't know if you're good. I think you're messing with me just to be mean. But since I'm such a nice guy, I think I'm going to ask you a question. And if you give me an answer that I think is good enough, then okay, then maybe I'll continue to follow you. But if I don't get the answer that makes sense, then I'm out of here. I'm going to go my own way. How arrogant do you have to be to put your view of what God should be doing over what he's revealed to us 
about himself and who he is at great, great cost to himself, uh, that cost being the cross of Christ. He died so we could have life through him. That's how we know who God is, and that's how we know he loves us. So how can we stand in judgment over God like that? So if you're struggling with that, please look, look at Jesus. See who he is. We can trust him. He is the exact representation, the exact manifestation of God. We can know who God is better even than Job. So it's fair to ask questions, but please ask from a position of faith, knowing we can trust God. There's a passage from C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters that I think really speaks to the struggle that Job is having between this gap of this is what I, I think I understand about God and, and I'm going to trust him, but there's this other stuff I don't understand. So if we can get that quote up for uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, the Screwtape Letters, just so you know, it's narrated by a demon. And so the, it's, a, of course, a fictionalized account of a demon telling a, a junior demon, his nephew Wormwood, about how to be a, uh, a more evil demon and do, enemy with, uh, do battle with the enemy who is God. So you have to twist around your thinking here a little bit. But he writes, uh, this is a demon writing about God. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only, only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased, even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do the enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. That's what Jesus did for us. He obeyed God on the cross. He died on the cross because that was how he was being obedient to God. And so if you're in a place today where you're struggling and God isn't making sense, and I know some of you are, that's why, that's why I'm being affected emotionally. I'm sorry, I did this in the first service too. I'm saying, I'm not going to do it again. No, we're going to power through. But no, <laughs> but God, God does care very much about what you're going through. And we, we know that because Jesus died for you, but know that whatever you're going through, God is able to, to meet you there, and he's able to get you through it. We don't need to be bitter with God because he's shown his love to us, and if we are bitter with God, we're just being obstinate, frankly. We're, we're ignoring the evidence of Scripture that testifies to who God is. And if, you, and if that's where you are, too, you are never more like Jesus than when you don't know why you're going through what you are, but you are still faithful. Thank you so much. For, I just want to personally say thank you for doing that because you're so inspirational to me. Uh, I get to see several of you from a distance I know are dealing with, with pretty heavy stuff, uh, but mostly it glorifies God, and that's what's most important. So thank you for doing what you're doing because it glorifies God. About four years ago, uh, we had an accident, or Christina had an accident, my wife. It wasn't her fault, um, but she bore all the consequences of it. And many of you walked alongside us, and I so much appreciate that. Uh, but, uh, I don't remember, it was the second or third day in the ICU with her. I wasn't sure how things were going to work out, uh, frankly. 
but it, I felt like it was time to update my friends at work about what was going on. And my friends are not all uh, Christians by any means. Uh, but at the end of that email, I wrote, I have learned that I can trust God regardless of the outcome. I hesitated. What if I really don't like the outcome? What if I were to become bitter towards God? Then this email would make me look foolish. It would make God look bad. What's the point in that? Well, the point is you can trust God no matter what the outcome is because we know his character, because we know Jesus. We know who he is. We know what he's like. We know we can trust him. So I, I sent that email and actually had a good conversation with somebody later on uh, about that. And after that happened, God gave a peace that is uh, something I really needed. And it was uh, something that only comes from God. I mean, I, I really appreciate friends and everything, but there is a, a, a niche that only God can fill. And God know, you, you know when, when God is giving you that peace. So I'm so grateful for that. So, for this week, there's a few things we can do for our, our response. First of all, let's identify the object of our bitterness. And if you're struggling with bitterness towards God, figure out, first of all, am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to accept the testimony of, of who He is and here? Am I going to believe it? If I am, then really logically, you have no choice but to trust God because we know His character. We know Jesus died for us. We know so much more than Job did, and yet Job was able to make that pious statement. If you're, if you're not there, then I, I would ask you to, to repent and stop elevating yourself over God. Your, your perceived um, criteria that God should fit over the revealed God that actually exists and loves you. If your issue is with another person, which is... Um, Typically, that's probably an easy thing to find. Once you've found out who you're dealing with, uh, go to a trusted person and uh, ask them just for accountability's sake that you can, uh, they can be sure that you actually work through that and, and do uh, business with God to forgive them and then forgive that person from your heart. Just like it says in Matthew 18 and uh, Ephesians 4, all those verses, forgive them from your heart. You're not going to put a box on the shelf and take it back. You're going to get rid of that box. You're going to uh, put it in the incinerator, send it to the dump, shoot it into the sun, whatever you need to do. Get rid of it. And then finally, let the Holy Spirit work in you to, to do this because you can do this. You might say, well, no, my bitterness is insurmountable. It's been too long. It's too deep a wound. No, God's, God says the Holy Spirit can do that. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to work. And the thing about pain is that we're, we're going to have pain one way or another. What a tragedy that is if we take that pain and convert it into bitterness. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a chemical engineer. I always think about, okay, you take stuff and you make stuff out of it. You know, that's the worst thing you can do is take pain and make something worse out of it, bitterness. Why don't we take that pain and make it into fertilizer for the fruit of the Spirit? Allow God to work in us. Allow God to saturate us and, and uh, get through that bitterness. Let me close us in prayer. Father, I do pray for everyone here today, those who are struggling with you, 
I pray that you will settle their heart, that they can trust you. You are totally reliable. And God, for those who are struggling with bitterness towards people, God, help us to accept by faith that you can enable us to forgive those people. However deep the bitterness is, you are fully capable of working in us, and we are fully capable of obeying the command to forgive and to resolve that bitterness. So, Father, please help us to do business with you as a result of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us again?
Have a seat, if you would, please. Um, we continue to worship by giving back to God from what He's given us. And this is for those who call High Point home. Uh, if you're visiting with us, please do not feel any obligation at all. As a matter of fact, we want you to, as you leave, please stop by the kiosk out there. We have a gift for you. We want to make sure that you're walking out with something in your hands. We trust that maybe something is in your heart as well, too. Uh, but this is where we can kind of tangibly declare before God and all the heavenly realms that our trust is not in our stuff, and it's so easy for that to happen. But I'm going to pray and um, ask for a blessing over the offering. You can put your offering in the, in the boxes. You can do it online. Um, so let me pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, we do thank you for everything that you've given us. And Lord, we pray as we get back to you now that it would be our understanding of your sacrifice you gave up so much for us. God, I pray that we will give back to you in that way as a reflection of our understanding of what you've done for us and that it would scare the heavenly realms of those, your adversaries and your enemies who think that our trust in our, is in our stuff, but it's in you. And we pray that you would do mighty and wonderful things through this offering. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd watch the screen, a few things coming up. Hey, I'm Jamie Randolph, and I'm here because Stephanie has a weird problem where she is scared. What are you scared of again? I don't like doing plugs with no audience. Okay, so I'm going to be her audience, and you're just going to be a friend talking to a friend, and I'm the audience and a friend. Yes. Great. Great. Let's give it a go. Thanks, Jamie. Um, I'm Stephanie Larkins. I'm the director of Kids Zone here at High Point. Um, and I have your announcements today. Um, the first one is our women's event. Doesn't really apply to you, but Courtney, maybe. Um, it's going to be on September 15th. We're going to have dinner, worship, a great guest speaker, and just a good time of fellowship, kind of like a mini retreat. So sign Courtney up. She'll be excited to come. Um, and then that same weekend, on September 17th, we have Connection Sunday. This is your opportunity to get involved in a great small group. Wait, you are involved in a great small group, but all of them get put, all of them get involved in a good small group and just really get plugged in. And we're going to start our time with a church-wide study, so you really don't want to miss it and being a part of that, so you'll have the opportunity to sign up on September 17th this new way of making doing plugs has made me super nervous and I forgot the third plug it is pray for staff retreat this is a time when men can come together with other men and prepare different meals lots of bacon involved they can throw axes at each other men being brothers arm-in-arm arm with men the third announcement was staff retreat but you described men's retreat Think of staff retreat as a very long off-site meeting. Speaking of, 
This is the light reading that Kevin would like you to get through before Tuesday when we leave. And for all of you, pray for us. We're going to be making decisions. <laughs> we're, I need it. Um, we're going to be um, calendaring for the coming year, working through a lot of great things for our church. We're super excited, and we're super excited to come back with some great ideas and great plans. So please pray for our time away. And I think that's it. Is that it? Bye. <laughs> Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next time. I will be adding to the agenda remedial plugs. We've got to work on. <laughs> okay. Well, before I let you out of here, a um, couple things. One is we're going to have down front prayer team. If you've come in here and there's just a burden, you're feeling like really just a heavy thing going on in your life. We've got people who desperately and, and will do a wonderful job praying for you. We realize we're, we're, a, we're a community. We're, we've got each other's backs. And so we need sometimes when we can't articulate a prayer because we're just so overwhelmed, we need somebody else that can for us. And so right down front here, we'll have Tim and Adam. Fantastic. They will be happy to pray with you. Also, let me remind you that Casey Larson, who just did an amazing job up here, she's going to be out in the lobby. If you'd just like to go by, encourage her. If you have some questions, please um, take the time to do that. And then lastly, for this half of the room, you know the drill. We're going to stack chairs and put them away for youth tonight. So if you would, please stack the chairs before you scoot. And then I, I think no higher than eight. So please don't go any higher than eight. I know it, Try not to make it a competition, but no higher than eight. All right, that would be wonderful. We would really appreciate that. I'm going to ask you to stand up if you would. Thanks for being here today. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the gathering of this community, this family of faith. And Father, we have our brokenness. None of us has it all put together by any stretch. But Lord, we thankfully have found the one in Jesus who can put us back together and takes a lifetime to do it. And Father, we pray that today's message about bitterness will help us as we 